Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. What's up, Victory Church? We're glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest or maybe you're logging on to watch this online uh, now, live, or later, uh, we welcome you. We're glad that you're taking a minute out of your day. Before I hop into the message, I want to give just a couple of quick things. First, I want to uh, welcome a very special guest that's with us here at the OKC campus today. Uh, the, a large portion of the Southwestern Christian University Athletics Department is here. Come on, make some noise. If you're with SCU, raise your hand. Both sides. And I have to pause for just a second, and my coach is over here, my, my former coach from Southwestern, and coach, I didn't wear this shirt on purpose today, I promise. It wasn't a Southwestern's coming, so I'm going to wear my King's University shirt. Uh, it, it was unintentioned. I, I uh, did not mean to wear this shirt. Uh, I'm the president of the King's University, but I did not mean to wear this. I am a former uh, athlete at Southwestern Christian University. It's my alma mater. I love Southwestern. Um, and I, I may tell a story later on in my message today about where God really changed my life and set my course uh, for what I didn't know at the time, but now the course I'm on today started at Southwestern. Um, and so I, we're so glad that you guys are here. Uh, is the basketball team here? No basketball team? Come on, coach. Okay, basketball team, stand up. Okay, stand up, basketball team. I just had to point out... Stay standing. I just had to, I just had everybody to, everybody had to know the best sport, okay? It's the best sport, and I'm sizing these guys up over there. All right, just making sure, sizing you up. No, we're glad you guys are here. Second thing is I want to real quickly hit men's conference. Guys, you need to sign up for men's conference. Uh, it's coming up very, very quickly, uh, so, so don't miss that. It's at the end of August, uh, Friday and Saturday. So go to victory.church forward slash men. All the Southwestern Christian um, guys, you can come for free. All right? I think that's, I think I can say that. But yeah, you can come for free. And if that wasn't true, it is now. Um, <laughs> so y'all should come. Uh, the other thing is, we've been in this season talking about we're not orphans. We're not spiritual orphans. We're spiritual sons and daughters. And we've been hearing some really cool testimonies come out of that. And so in September, we're going to, do on a day we're going to do communion but we're also going to do testimony testimonies um and there's this passage in revelation that says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony so did you know that when god does something in you and you share it with others that that is a is a vital part of somebody else overcoming what they're trying to overcome and so we need you to share your testimonies all right so the way you do that is if God's done something in your life, and I'm not saying that, you know, your left arm had to grow back, okay? It can be very something very simple. God, God has given you breakthrough mentally in your, mar in your marriage or mentally or in, in financially. Any breakthrough, we want to hear about it. So the way you will tell us about it is you email us at testimony at victory.church, okay? Testimony at victory.church. So, uh, so send us an email and let us know what God's been doing uh, in your life. We are becoming experts on the topic of spiritual orphanhood. 
all right? Um, you probably get sick of me preaching on this before I'm going to be done with it uh, because I think it's so pivotal in the life of a believer, and it's also pivotal in the life of a leader, and it's also pivotal in the life of a mother and a father to be able to identify an orphan spirit, an orphan heart in the people you lead, in your children, in your spouse. Be careful how you tell your spouse, by the way, that they have an orphan heart. But it's so pivotal in being able to recognize. And if this is your first time here and you have no idea what I'm talking about, you need to go back and listen to the last two weeks of messages. Okay, we introduced this topic. When Jesus says, Jesus says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come back for you. I will return to you. There's something about this word orphan that he wants us to understand that we are sons and daughters of, of God. We are children of God, and God doesn't want us to behave as orphans. Last week, we talked about the prodigal son and how the prodigal son ran. He had an orphan heart, and he ran from his father, and he, he returned home. We talked about how orphans have no home, but sons and daughters have a home, and we should always run back to the father. And so last week, we started talking about the prodigal son. This story, it's in Luke chapter 15. If you want to turn there, you can turn there right now. Uh, you can go on version and tap on the events page and then click on Victory Church and you'll see all my notes right there uh, and you can follow along today. But I want to talk about this same text, the same prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15. I'm going to talk about it again next week as well. But I want to, I want to start by, by, by sharing a quote with you. This, this author that I've referred to several times, his name is Leif Hetland. He says spiritual orphanhood many times represents in two ways. He says spiritual orphans are religious or rebellious legalistic or lawless, self-righteous or struggle with sin. And more often than not, we learn the first week that we all have an orphan heart. Every single one of us on a daily basis have tendencies to behave and think like orphans. And he believes, and I believe he's right, that most of the time this orphan heart manifests itself in two ways. Both ways are shown in the prodigal son's story most of the time you hear the story, story preached about the prodigal son who ran away, lost everything and came back. But there's another son in the story, the son who stayed there. The, 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 the prodigal son who ran away is the rebellious son. He ran away in rebellion. We're going to talk about that today. Next week, we're going to talk about the orphan who stayed home because the orphan, the orphan who stayed home also had an orphan heart. He was a son. Neither one of them understood the love of their father. Neither one of them. And we're going to identify ourselves in this story. One son, the son that ran away, he behaved as though he didn't need a father. Okay? The other son who stayed home behaved as though he didn't have a father. And we're going to look at both stories this week and next week and identify ourselves in this story. So Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 11 through 24, so hang with me. But it's important that we stick with this, okay? It says, the, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now. Say now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the, son, uh, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. 
And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I, have no, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servant, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now he is found, and I like these last four words, so the party began. <laughs> That's where the party started. Let's party. I want to go back. Somebody over here said, "Woo, let's party. I like it. Uh, I want to go back to verse 12 and pull something out as I begin to decipher these orphan hearts. Um, today we're talking about the prodigal son. Next week we'll talk about the other son. The prodigal son, I wanted to go back and try to figure out what in him was the start of the orphan heart? And we're, we're going to identify where it began. I believe that it kind of begins, it pops, it shows its ugly head in verse 12. And it says, the younger son told his father these first two words, I want, I want. There was something in this idea of wanting something. And by saying I want, it means that there was something that he felt like he didn't have that there was some sort of lack there, that there was something missing, that there was something that he wanted. And, and here's, here's really the, the big difference between the, the two sons is one son's want led him to a rebelliousness. He had something that he wanted, and it caused him to run. And the other son, uh, the other son felt like he could work to receive the love from his father. So the prodigal son was birthed, his orphan heart was birthed out of a want, or a lack. And the, the other orphan, the, the religious orphan, was out of a work. I have to work to earn. So today we're going to talk about the orphan who, the, 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 the son who ran. And the title of my message is The Orphan Who Wanted. The Orphan Who Wanted. What do, what do you want? Have you ever had somebody ask you that? Um, my wife and I, we're not very good at giving gifts to each other. It's just neither one of our love languages. Um, and so when it comes to like birthdays and stuff, I, we're so bad at surprising each other. We're terrible at it. We're just like, what do you want? Like, just go buy it and tell me you bought it. It's great. Like, she'll come home, hey, you bought me a purse for my birthday. I'm like, I'm sweet, aren't I? Aren't I so caring? But we just kind of go back to what do you want? And that's really the heart of what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying, you know, this is not a message about you should never want anything. I don't think there's anything to be said about that. But I want to drill down and try to find the root of this son, and where these words want come from. So let's go back to verse 12, read the whole thing again. Verse 12 says, the younger son told his father, I want my share. I want what belongs to me. In the King James Version, it reads, I want my portion. I want my portion. It says, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between the sons. So I want to talk about five steps that this orphan went through to find home, to find going back to the Father. And the reason for that is because if you'll look close enough at your life on a daily, 
you'll discover that we have the same tendencies as this prodigal son. Most of the time, we look at the prodigal son if we're believers and we say, yeah, I'm not that guy. I'm not that bad. I didn't do that. I didn't go out and squander everything. I didn't go out and do wild living. I didn't do all those things. But what I want to do is press past that. And, and what I begin to see is that I identify myself with this prodigal son, maybe not in going out and living a wild lifestyle, but there's tendencies in his orphan heart that begin to stick out in mine. And so the first thing I want to talk about, the first step or the first day, it was the day he wanted. There came a day, and we don't know exactly when this day was, that he wanted something that he felt like his father was not giving him. Um, we don't know what it was. The story doesn't go into detail. Maybe he wanted his freedom. Maybe he was tired of the dad telling him what to do. Maybe he wanted independence. We don't know exactly what he wanted, but we do know that it led to some point where he said, you know what, enough's enough. I want what's mine and I want to leave. I want to go away. And if you drill this, this down, what, what is rebellion? It's kind of a word that none of us want to claim. Like, I'm not rebellious. It's not, well, we might call another person rebellious, but I'm not rebellious. That's not what I would say. But really, a rebellious heart is, is basically is described as this, is when, when what I want does not equal what I got. Um, and that's where a wanter, right? A wanter is birthed out of this idea that I want something and I don't got it. And so if I'm not careful, that can lead me into becoming rebellious. And it leads to uh, two other words that want will lead to. Um, these two words, I deserve. I deserve this. And you'll become rebellious when something that you want goes into you believing I deserve. And when you think you deserve something, you will become rebellious. Super quiet in here, and that's okay. I can take it. So the King James Version says, give me my portion. Now in the Greek, this word portion means give me what is due to me. So this son saw something and said, I deserve that. And I want it when I say now. Not when you say, I want it right now. And the orphan heart, this is what the orphan heart screams, I deserve and I deserve is a very dangerous place. Uh, you, if you talk to somebody who had some sort of a moral failure, let's say they were caught embezzling money from uh, a nonprofit or embezzling money from a company. Usually it's birthed from a, from a condition or a, uh, or a psychological place that their mind leads them to where they believe that they're working harder than what they're getting in return. And so they say, I deserve more. And so this is how we justify it. My, my wife doesn't give me what I need and what I want. And so I deserve better. It's quieter that time than it was last time. <laughs> so um, the orphan heart, this is, this is the key. The orphan heart always wants because the orphan heart always lacks. The orphan heart always feels empty. The orphan heart always feels like nobody loves me, nobody appreciates me, nobody sees me. I have no one who loves me, nobody who accepts me, nobody receives me, and I deserve better. And if we watch our hearts close enough, we will see this come out. And the good thing is, is that we have great company in the Bible with this. Okay, we're all normal. Look at your neighbor and say, you're normal. Look at your other neighbor and say, I don't know about you. <laughs> you guys had fun with that one. 
So we're all normal. The children of Israel had this problem. The children of Israel behaved like orphans over and over and over again. They said all through the wilderness, I want bread. They're like, I need some carbs up in here. I need some cinnamon bagels from Panera to fall from sky. And God gives them manna. And then they're like, well, I want some protein. We're not vegetarians. Bring me some quail. I need some meat. And I want it now. And I'm thirsty. Where's my water? I deserve. We should have just stayed in Egypt. Aren't we your children, God? Don't we deserve this? And they, they had this inheritance called the promised land. Now, now watch the connection of the rebelliousness that, that came up in their orphan heart. They had been told that they were promised a land, but they weren't being given the land when they wanted to be in the land. God's plan for them kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. Um, ended up being 40 years. But what they failed to recognize is the reason it was being delayed is because he didn't want them going into the promised land like, like orphans. So he, he, he pulls this out of them. Now watch what it says. God talks back to, to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 1.26. He says, but you were unwilling to go up. You, there's that word, rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. It's a little dramatic. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us in the hands of the Amorites and destroy us. The Israelites are like, the Lord didn't give us what we wanted. So we stayed in our tents and grumbled. And God said, no, you rebelled is what you did. Now, this word rebelled uh, in Hebrew is the Hebrew word marah. Now, watch this. This will bring more clarity to it. It means to be bitter and to carry a grievance. So in God's eyes, to rebel means that you're carrying a grievance against someone or something. And because of that grievance, your orphan heart causes you to run. You run away. You run away from it. God referred to these people over and over again as a stiff-necked people. Stubborn. Do you have a stubborn child? I have a stubborn child. Any parents of stubborn children, raise your hand. How many of you were the stubborn child? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm just uh, keeping an eye on those. There's a stubbornness to us. We become hard-hearted. And his, all I'm saying is I'm asking you to be aware of your wanter. What do you want? And every time you want something, whether it's from a person or a company or a job or a friend or your bank account, I'm just saying you should step back and say, I'm going to guard my wanter. And is my wanter pure? Am I saying I deserve this? Am, am, I, am I going to this to receive affirmation and affection and love and acceptance instead of going to my father to receive affirmation and love and acceptance? You see the difference. And what, what do I want? What do I want? I'll take golf claps all day long. It's better than the silence. Okay, let's go to verse 13. Verse 13 says, a few days later, this younger, this, this, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Now, this is where I want to lean in. And there he wasted. So you had the day he wanted and then followed immediately by the day he wasted. So you see the, I like that. Preach is good because they both start with a W. It's awesome. So he wanted something and his want led to waste. He wasted it away. But the key to this whole phrase, the key to this passage is those other five words where it says he moved to a distant land. This is the key of this text. 
to the orphans in the house. The reason he wasted is because he was at a distant land away from his father. Because it says there, that's a really important word, there, put that up on the screen. It says there he wasted. It was at that place that he wasted. Where, where is that place? It's away from the father. Now, I like this that he had, she has on the screen now. Put that back up. The King James Version. I always like to look at the King James Version because it's really eloquently written. It's got some really beautiful words in it sometimes. And this is one of those instances. It says, and there he wasted his substance. That there was a substance to his calling, to who he was designed to be, and he wasted it. A rebellious orphan heart is one who finds himself or herself distanced from the presence of God. And when you remove yourself from the presence of God, you are distancing yourself and preparing yourself for a lot of wastefulness. You'll waste time, you'll waste energy, you'll waste money, you'll, you'll, you'll waste your, your, your brain power, you'll waste your gift, you'll waste it all because outside of the covering of a father, you're left to yourself and what you want, you will end up wasting. And you may think, well, I didn't do what he did. It's not that big of a deal. I didn't waste all the things that he did. But what I've realized is that the orphan in me um, will cause me to waste my substance too. And maybe I didn't go and squander all the money, and maybe I didn't go and, and live in wild living. But I wonder sometimes if my orphan heart didn't cause me to waste my substance arguing with somebody on social media. <laughs> I wonder sometimes if my orphan heart doesn't cause me sometimes to, to waste my substance carrying around bitterness towards somebody rather than forgiving them and moving on, you know. And you fill in the blanks for, with whatever, you, 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 whatever comes to mind. But from time to time, we will waste our substance on things that we would have never wasted that if we would have been at home with the Father because we're out clawing for acceptance in a world. So how do I know if I've become this orphan that I speak of? We, there's got to be some sort of trigger. Like, how can I identify the orphan in me? And how, how can I identify the orphan in others? Well, I think the, the key is in verse 16. Verse 16 says, the man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Have you ever heard somebody say the phrase, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? And you know what they mean by that. They're, they're super hungry, right? But what that tells you is you are that, you're that hungry. Do you, have you ever eaten horse? I haven't eaten a horse. Have you? Like, that sounds terrible. But your starvation will lead you to such a desperate place that you will eat something that if you, if you were home with your father sitting at the father's table, if somebody brought horse to you and said, hey, you want a piece of horse? You'd be like, no. Well, what do I want to eat horse for? Have you seen these survival stories where somebody is stranded on the ocean for like weeks and weeks and weeks? And this is gross. And they end up drinking their own urine. Can you even imagine? Let's, let's change topics quickly, okay? Why? Because they, they were so hungry that it led them to do something that they would have never done when they were that, if, when, when they were satisfied. So his orphan heart, think about this, the prodigal son, his orphan heart led him to do something or to be tempted by something that he would have never, ever, ever otherwise been tempted by. Now, how does that translate to us? Okay, the orphan heart in me, if I'm not careful, 
If I leave my father's house for too long, if I get outside of his provision and his safety and his covering for too long, I will begin to be tempted by things that would have never tempted me before. My orphan heart would cause me to be tempted to cheat on my taxes. Super quiet there. I don't know who you are. It's okay. I mean, just look at the screen straight ahead and your, your orphan heart may, may cause you to um, uh, lean in a little bit to that girl at work that's flirting with you. But back when you had a healthy marriage, you would have never in a million years been tempted by that. So how do I know when the orphan heart is at work within my heart when I am tempted to do things that I would never, never, never otherwise do and I must put these triggers in my mind and in my spirit to call me out when those things start to happen. Now, verse 17, let's keep going in the story. Verse 17 says this. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying for hungry. Now, at this point, I don't want to spend a ton of time on, but it's really important because in verse 15, it said, in verse 17, it says, when he finally came to his senses, it means that any other rational human being would have come to this a long time ago, but this idiot, when he finally come to his senses, it's when he had this revelation. You know what a revelation is? A revelation is something that has always been there, but you've just failed to see it. We were at um, Global Leadership Summit a couple weeks ago, and this guy spoke. He was amazing. He was hilarious. Uh, he, you should Google it, try to find this guy. Uh, I can't remember his name, so I'm not really giving you any good leads, am I? Uh, just go find him. He's great. But this is the guy. This is how you'll find him. He invented the Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Any gay mans out there for this guy? You really like the Flamin' Hot Cheetos? So he did this speech where he talks about how he said he, he's from Mexico, so he's a Mexican guy, and he worked at the Doritos plant as a janitor mopping the floors. And he said he had a revelation. I like Cheetos, and I'm Mexican, so I like spices. Somebody got excited on that one. <laughs> so he put the two together, and he became a VP in the company and went from mopping floors to running companies. And, but, but what I'm saying is he, 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 he honed in on this idea that we all need a fresh revelation. Every day we need a revelation. But revelation is something that was always there. You just failed to see it. What we need, orphans, is a revelation of the Father's love. The Father's love. That he loves us even when we were out being idiots. <laughs> even when we was out doing what we do that we know we shouldn't do. And, this, and so the, the, this, this third point is the day he realized. This is probably the most pivotal point in this whole story. Because without those five words, he finally came to his senses. That's six words. I just messed that up. He finally came to his senses. Without that moment, without that revelation, he would have just continued down the path that he was going. So there has to be a day, and I'm praying that that day is today. I'm praying that that day is this week. I'm praying that that day is this month, that we will come to a revelation of the Father's love for us. Watch what Jesus says in verse 14. Uh, in chapter 14, verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. Now watch verse 20. On that day, you will realize 
On what day? The day that you realize you're not an orphan. You're a son. And he says, on that day, the day that you have this revelation, on that particular day, that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. I pray today that we would have fresh revelation. Okay? Let's go to point four. Verse 18 says this, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. So I like this because it's kind of going, it's taking us into the prodigal son's brain because this happens twice. In, in verse 18, he's thinking it. And then later on, when he meets his son, he says what he was previously thinking. So he's having this inner dialogue with himself. I know you, don't, you guys don't talk to yourself because you're not crazy, but I talk to myself all the time. So he's having this inner dialogue with himself. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll just go home. I'll go home and I'll say to my father, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. And I know that I can never be a son again. But could I just be a servant? Could I just be a slave? I'm willing to be a slave. You can see the orphan heart coming out in him, right? His orphan heart is telling him, you screwed that up once and for all. You can know Ever again can you be a son. Never again will you be a son. But at least you'll get to eat as a servant, as a slave. And most Christians settle for slavery instead of sonship. So point number four is the day he went home. And we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to spend much time on this because I preached a whole sermon on it. But this really is such an important part because part of that text says, in conclusion, verse 20, it says, so he returned home. He did it. And that may seem insignificant. We just kind of read right past that. But do you realize the power of that point, the power of that text? You know what he had to overcome to do that? He had to swallow his pride. Like, we don't know exactly how that went between him and his father, but I promise you it wasn't a cute, cuddly conversation. He told his father the goods and the business, and I don't need you, and I can do better on my own without you, and and he looked at his brother and said, yeah, I don't need you either. And he left all of that. And then he's sitting in his own shame. And he's got to go back. He's got to overcome so much to just fill in those words. So he went home. And I pray that you have this ability. And I don't know what some of you have been through. I don't know some of the mistakes that you've made and the shame that the enemy keeps you in. Because you don't want to tell anybody your story and your shame. And there's, there's men in here today that are living a life of sin in their marriage. And the shame is keeping them in it because they don't want to confess it to anybody. And that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> there's people who are living secret lifestyles and secret sin. And you want more than anything to come out of this addiction and to find help. But your shame and your guilt and your pride keep you locked in the pig pen. And I applaud the prodigal son for saying, you know what, I don't even care who knows it. I'm going to go back and face my father and say, I was an idiot. I did everything wrong, but I just want to come back home. There's something beautiful about that. But, but all of this leads to what I really want to talk about for the next 11 minutes, and then we'll be done. Point number five, the day he was redeemed. This is, this is the best part of the story. This, this story has a beautiful ending. And remember, we are the prodigal son in this story. Let me show it to you. So in verse 20, it says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Which tells us that the father was always looking out the window for him. 
The father knew he would come home eventually. The father had hoped he would come home eventually. But I'll, for just a second, I want to pause because most of us know this story because I read it earlier. So we already know that's ha, 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 happy ending, kill the fattened calf. But let's pretend for just a second that we have no idea what the next verse says, okay? So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and ran and grabbed the shotgun and walked out to the end of the property and said, turn around, boy, you know, we're not welcome here anymore, you know? We don't know, let's pretend for just a second that we have no idea what happens because I want to show you what should have happened according to the law of Moses, okay? Deuteronomy 21, verse 18. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Verse 21, then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. That's what was supposed to happen. That wasn't a suggestion. That was the law. Did you hear that, kids? With your, Can I get an amen, parents? <laughs> Maybe we should try that just to scare him to death one time. That's what he deserved. The prodigal son deserved to be stoned. That's why he said, maybe I can just go back as a slave. I'll just, I won't come back as a son. Forget I was ever a son, dad. I just want to be a slave. Because he knew the law as a son, he should be stoned. Now, let's go to the New Testament and see what we deserve. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're not sure if that applies to you, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned. All of us deserve death. Now, go back to where we started, where we said, I want because I deserve. Be careful to ask for what you deserve. <laughs> but I love this and in verse 24. It's a great and. It says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All of you deserve to be, all of you deserve death. None of my sons and daughters will receive death. All of them will receive life. This justification, the story, this story of the prodigal son is a story about you and I. We are the prodigal son. Sometimes daily, sometimes multiple times a day, I have to remind myself, no, that's how an orphan thinks. I'm going back home to my dad. I won't think like that. I'm going back home to my dad. I won't react like that. I'm going back home to my dad. I'm going to run back to my father. I'm the son who has a tendency to run away like an orphan. And I must have a fresh revelation of the father's love. Here's what actually happened. He didn't, the dad didn't meet him with a shotgun. This is what actually happened in verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Here's, here's your father. Here's your heavenly father. Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And still, while he's being hugged by his father, 
while he's being kissed by his father, as awkward as that might have been, while he's being kissed by his father, this orphan heart tries one last time to, to, to rear its ugly head. One last time. While his dad is hugging him, verse 21 says, and he said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm an orphan. And I love how his dad replies to him because, in fact, his dad doesn't even reply to him. The Bible says in verse 22, it says, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the, the finest robe in the house and put it, put, it, put it on him and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Oh, and kill the calf, the one we've been trying to fatten up. We must celebrate with a feast. The son of mine was dead. He was lost and now he's found. So let's, let's have a party. Let's have a party. Isn't that cool? When you mess up, when you mess up later today, when you mess up, if you will turn back to the father and say, Dad, I just, I'm sorry, I'm such an idiot. It's a celebration. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't beat us up. He welcomes us home. It's a beautiful story of how the son's want led to waste and how the father turned the waste into a win. He turns our waste into a win and a celebration and a victorious redemption for our lives. So, so let me close with, with going over quickly the three things he gave him because these are super important. They're very symbolic. Um, you know, if my son went away and squandered half my inheritance and came back, I'd be like, oh, I got something for you, that's for sure. You know what you're going to do? You're going to go out and work with the slaves in the fields for the next six years of your life to pay me back for all the money that you wasted. Uh, maybe I'm not the best dad, but that's what my flesh would want to do. This father says, I want to give you three things, okay? The first thing is sandals. Now, that's weird. Was his shoes beat up? Like, did he need some new J's? Like, what, what's the deal? Well, sandals were very important because the only people who didn't wear sandals were servants and slaves, okay? So remember, the son said to his father, I'll just come be a slave for you. The father didn't even reply to him. He said, put these on. So he was wanting his son to know, no, you are not a slave. You are my son. Not only did he want the son to know this, he wanted the community to know this. He wanted everybody around the whole village that they lived in to know that this is my son and he's come home. Don't you treat him like a slave. Don't you treat him like a servant. He belongs here and we're going to party. <laughs> so he gives him shoes. And then he gives him a robe. That seems like a weird welcome gift home, a robe. But this was symbolic too. A robe is symbolic of righteousness. Now that's a, sim a very simple, a very complex word that simply means that this son of mine is now in right standing with the father. So he comes home, he threw the robe around his son, declaring to the whole village and everybody that was around that he's back and me and him are good. We're in a good place. We're not fighting. We're not at odds with one another. We're not separated. He's come home and we're in right standing. I'm his father and he's my son. And everybody needs to know it, okay? So it's for the community, but it was also for the son. Every time he walked past a mirror and every time he glanced down, he'd be like, oh yeah, that's right. I did something really stupid. But God gave me, but, but my father gave me this robe. I'm in right standing with the father. I should act like it. 
I should act like it. I should behave like a son. I should think like a son. I should lead like a son. Okay? The, the, the other thing he gave him was, was a ring. Now, this one's really important. Um, if the robe showed him that he belonged, uh, the ring declares that he had authority. Big difference. You can belong as a part of a group, or you can be the one in the group that has the authority in the group. It's one thing to belong. It's another thing to have authority. And what he was telling everybody, again, everybody, not only is he in good standing with me, but he has my full backing and my full authority. If he walks into your store to buy a bag of sugar, you don't need to question whether or not he can pay for it because he's got my ring on. You know, you walk up to, to the credit card, you get those credit cards now, or even your phone that you can just kind of tap it. And it's like, yep, he's good. You get to take that home with you. This, the ring was symbolic of authority and that, it, that, if, that if he's walking into this room to purchase something, his father says he'll pay for it. It, it, it came with authority. And so the robe, turns, the robe turns a sinner into a saint and the ring makes us representatives of the father. So we go forth with confidence as, represent, as, as representations of the Father. Represent, two words, re-present. I'm going to represent what the Father presents. I'm going to copycat. I'm going to, as the Father acts, I'm going to act. Because I'm, I'm a representative of the Father. He's given me full authority to do, though, do so. So when you punch me in the cheek, I'm going to let you hit the other cheek. Because I'm going to represent what the Father presented to me. I'm going to behave like a son. I'm going to be generous like a son. John 15, 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now that's been a crazy verse for me forever because I'm like, oh, well, I can pray for whatever I want. I got my list. Let's go. But the key to this is the very first part of this verse. It says, if you remain in me, if you stay in my house, if you don't run off like an orphan and go crazy and be wasteful, if you stay in my house, you have the DNA of my house. If, if you stay in God's house, you, you have the culture of God's house. If you stay in God's house, if you stay in relationship with the Lord, if you remain in him, then you two are on the same page. So when you go out, you're just simply representing the heart of the Father. So now you get the key to the safe. What do you need? I trust you. I trust you. What do you need? If you remain in me and I remain in you, you may ask anything that you want. All based, all coming, all, all on the heels of this son having a revelation. And I can't give you a revelation. I can, I can give you a sermon. But there has to be some point where you have a revelation. And I'll close with this quick story. I, I can tell you the moment. It's cool that Southwestern's here. Because I can tell you the moment that I had my revelation. And back then, I couldn't have really described to you what was happening. I didn't really know. I wouldn't have been able to articulate it the way that I can articulate it today. But God gave me a revelation of his love. I grew up a preacher's kid. I heard every sermon that ever had been preached. I knew the Bible. 
I knew all about Jesus, but I was the, I was the prodigal son. I was, I was running. I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I was partying. I was doing things that I don't want to say because my parents are here and they would be embarrassed. Well, I would be embarrassed. And I, I went to college and it continued. That's probably why I love Coach so much because he could have kicked me out of school several times. And he didn't. Um, I was a typical athlete doing what I wanted to do gathering up championship rings and, you know, had three national championships and captain of the basketball team and had some great times. All of those trophies and rings are in my attic now. (laughs) But I had this moment where I went to a chapel, and I don't know about these student athletes. I'm sure they're they're saints, unlike unlike me. But I was a back row guy, and I was a look-at-the-clock guy, and I was a fall-asleep guy. And I didn't like chapel. It was in the Minchu where you guys have chapel today. And I, I don't even know who preached. I have no idea who preached. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you the sermon. Couldn't tell you worship. Couldn't tell you anything. But I know that at the end of that, something happened to my heart. And it was like God pulled out my heart of stone and replaced it with something like a heart of flesh. And I stood up in front of all my athlete friends and I was the leader of the ruffians and tramped my tail down to the altar and fell on my knees and wept. <laughs> and God did a work in me. And he gave, what it was, is he was giving me, like I said, I didn't know what he was doing now, but he was giving me a revelation. It was something that was always there. I was always his son. But I needed to have a fresh revelation of his love for me. And this is what I need you, I want you to experience more than anything else is to realize that you're on this earth for far greater things than you think you're doing right now. You just need to behave as a son or a daughter and not as an orphan. Father, I um, pray, God, that you would, that you would do a work now that both in this room and at the Edmund campus and those of you watching online, God, that I don't know where to take it from here because all I can do is present content and knowledge and then the Holy Spirit has to take over and bring revelation. The Spirit must do something that I cannot do. And so my prayer, Father, is whether it's now or tonight or next week or next month, God, I pray that you would invade all of us all of us, people who've been saved for 80 years and people who aren't saved at all. Give us revelation. Give us revelation. Something that was in front of us all along and we had not seen it. May we come to our senses. May we come to our senses about our identity in Christ and find intimacy with the Father. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. 
If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.